going to look at this scripture and I'm going to turn your minds towards a very sobering topic today as we study the light of eternity part two. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and he fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell, just the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. Verse 22 of Luke 16. So it was that the beggar died, as we all will die, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off. And there is Lazarus, the beggar, in a safe, comfortable place. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this... Between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you'd send him to my father's house. If he can't come all the way here, send him back to earth. I have five brothers that he can testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. I don't want my friends, family, I don't want anybody coming here. Abraham said... Well, they have Moses and the prophets. Just let them read their Bibles. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they won't read their Bible, listen to their preacher, and hear the truth, neither will they persuade it, even though one rise from the dead. This is a passage of Scripture that has a contrast in one compact place shows the difference in heaven and hell. So today, I'd like for us to tune in and let's let the Lord speak to us. Not Pastor Haman, but the Word of God. In Jesus' name, I want you to hear, not me, not my voice, but I want you to hear the Word of God. Part two, the light of eternity, this is one of the most urgent messages you can hear in your life. Please, please pray for me to be able to do an adequate job of reaching the hearts of every one of us, including yourselves. And Lord, let us never go to hell. Don't let us be lost. In Jesus' name. Could you just take a minute, fold your hands with me and say, God, don't let me go to hell. Lord, I want to make it into the bosom of Abraham. I want to make it into paradise. Lord, open our eyes today and give us ears to hear. 
let us see and let us hear so that today everything changes in Jesus name in Jesus name amen and you are welcome to take your seats Our world is a world that has, without much thought and without much consideration and even premeditation, has lost the fear of hell. And the glories of heaven compelling us I want to be a part of a congregation and a church, a movement that takes back that fixed point of reference, a North Star that is permanent. Even though the world swirls and the winds of doctrine blow, I'm so thankful for my Bible. Someone said these words in one of my reference books, even to one without religious commitment and one without theological convictions, it should be unsettling, an unsettling thought that this world is attempting to chart its way through some of the most perilous waters in history, having now decided to ignore what was for nearly two millennia, 2,000 years, having now decided to ignore that fixed point of reference, that North Star, the certainty of judgment and the longing for heaven, the dread of hell. These are not prominent considerations in our modern discourse about the important matters of life, but they once were. I like what T.S. Eliot once said. He said, I had far rather Walk. I had far rather walk, as I do, in daily terror of eternity than feel that this was only a children's game in which all the contestants get equally worthless prizes at the end. Daily terror of eternity than to feel at ease about life after death. Bear with me. Tune in. There are reliable statistics that show for every American who believes he's going to hell, there are 120 who believe they're going to heaven. I, I just wish that those were consistent with Jesus' words. but they're really in complete opposition. Matthew 17, 34, Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many enter through it. But listen to this, small is the gate, fix this microphone, please. This is far too important a message to be distracted. Small is the gate. Everybody say, small is, the gate. small is the gate. 
only about the size of one person, just small. Whereas the other is wide and broad. You're going to enter into one of two worlds at the end of your life. Keep this in mind. Small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. If I were you, I think I'd lean into this message and I'd say, Pastor, I don't care how long you preach today. I want to find it. I want to find it. I want to make sure that I'm not tricked and I'm not distracted and I'm not deluded into thinking that I'm making it to heaven when I'm really not. We all occupy fallen fleshly bodies. So the body you're sitting here this morning, listening to this message in, or wherever you may be in that exact state, you are not entitled to enter into God's presence for eternity. You cannot enter heaven. I cannot enter heaven as we are. So I want to show, I want to share something very important with you right now. Heaven is not our default destination. Our sin problem must be resolved. No one goes to heaven automatically. Unless our sin problem is solved, cared for, solutions have been applied. The blood of Jesus has been applied and baptism and repentance from our sin and the infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Listen to this. The only place we will go is our true default destination, which is hell. Now, let me tell you why I'm addressing this issue today. Because to be guilty would be guilty for sure if I only conveyed being with Jesus in heaven, being reunited with family and friends and enjoying the great adventures that are yet to come in heaven. It would be out of balance if I did that only. And it would not be safe or honest for your eternal state. You, Calvary family, mean far too much to me in my heaven-ordained responsibility to be your shepherd under the good shepherd. Only an irresponsible pastor and shepherd would try to keep you pampered and try to keep it sugar-coated and try to make sure that you don't leave the flock over being offended by a message about something you don't want to think about. The great danger I'm preaching about here today is that most everyone assumes they're headed for heaven. C.S. Lewis, anybody ever heard of him? Wow. He has this quote, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, without a pastor standing in the pulpit and saying, thus saith the Lord. You're here today because you refuse to be on a safe road to hell. In Jesus' name, we're not going to that place. Now, think about it. Judging by what's said at most funerals, think about it. You'd think nearly everyone's going to heaven, wouldn't you? (laughs) But I've got to repeat, Jesus made it clear most people are not going to heaven. Small is the gate. Narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. 
I want to challenge you this morning that we dare not wait and see when it comes to what's on the other side of death. Don't just cross your fingers this morning and hope that your name is written in the book of life. And, but I want you to know you can literally walk out of this place today knowing 100% for sure before you even leave here, much less before you die, that you are ready to go through the small gate. Because folks, we may die at any time, we need to know now. And if I were you, I'd say, I wanna know now, not next month. If I were to die right now, I wanna know where I would go. Where would I be? What would be my fixed destination in eternity? James 4, 14 says, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So it's of paramount importance to make sure you're going to heaven and not hell. In Jesus' name. Can you make that personal? Say with me, it's paramount that I make sure that I am going to heaven. Come on, somebody say, I'm going to heaven. The voice that whispers to somebody here in this sanctuary this morning, there's no hurry. Discount this message. You can always think about it later. That's not God's voice. God's voice says, now is the day of salvation. Woo. Choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. I'm excited to preach and teach about heaven. But I am going to make sure heaven is sweeter by you understanding there is an alternative. The awful alternative is hell. Hell will be inhabited by people who haven't received God's gift of redemption in Jesus Christ. Revelation 20, 15. Actually, we're going to start at verse 12. Revelation 20, 12 says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Just slow down and read this. Think about it. The books were opened. Another book was open, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse 15. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Okay, a little bit of teaching. Just hear this. After Jesus returns, listen to this. Boom. Jesus comes. Let me tell you what's going to happen. There will be a resurrection. When Jesus Christ comes to earth, there will be a resurrection for two groups of people. There will be a resurrection for believers, for eternal life in heaven, and a resurrection of unbelievers for eternal existence in hell. How, how do I know there's going to be a resurrection for both? You may wonder what in the world happens at that moment in time. There's going to be a resurrection. There's no one going to be left unresurrected. Here's how I know that. John 5, 28, powerful verse, enlightening verse, says, do not marvel at this. Jesus is speaking. He says, for the hour is coming. Everybody say, it's coming. In which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. 
those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. The unsaved, everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, will be judged by God according to the works that they have done, which have been recorded in heaven's books. Now, because those works include sin, people on their own, people without Jesus, cannot enter the presence of a holy and a just God, and they will be consigned to a place of everlasting destruction. Jesus will say to those who are not covered by his blood, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, now this is what we're up against, okay? Have you ever heard of the Far Side comics? Any comic, any joking, hell will not be like those pictures. Hell will not be like it's often portrayed in comic strips. And it's, I've seen it before. It's like a big lounge where in between drinks, people are telling stories of their escapades while on earth. No, 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 no. That's not the way hell's going to be. Rather, it'll be a place of utter misery. It'll be a place of conscious punishment for sins with no hope of relief. This is why Dante in the book, The Inferno, envisioned this sign chiseled above hell's gate. Abandon every hope, you who enter. So here today, please let this enter into your spirits and think about this. The reality of hell should break our hearts. It should break our hearts. And it should take us to our knees. And it should bring us to the doors of those who do not know Jesus Christ according to the power of the Holy Ghost. Those who have believed but who have not yet received the Holy Spirit. We should pray for God to help us to reach them. The reality of hell, church, is something that I don't ever want to live my life discounting or missing. The enemy would love to distract us from these things. But here today, the Lord has instructed me to bring the attention of the body of Christ together to this concept. In the Bible, Jesus says more than anyone else about hell. Okay, listen closely. He refers to it as a literal place, describes it in graphic terms. Here's what he says. There are raging fires. There's the worm that doesn't die. Now, what is the worm? The worm is understood to be the eating away of your conscience without ever stopping. Never concluding, but your conscience like a worm continuously eating away at you and your consciousness that you are lost and you could have done something about it. Christ says the unsaved will be thrown outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Grinding of teeth over agony, pain, and suffering and regret. So, in this story about the rich man and the beggar, Jesus taught that in hell, listen to this, the wicked suffer terribly. Fully conscious, retaining desires and memories and reasoning, 
even realizing there's thirst, but no quenching. Even realizing that there is a tongue that is parched, but there is no relief. Woo! These are those who cannot be comforted, cannot leave their torment, and they're completely without hope. I want to tell you, I thank you, Jesus, for painting such a bleak graphic picture so that I wouldn't have any questions that that's not where I want to tempt the Lord to send me at all. Can I, now, let me just, let's just make this real for a second, okay, everybody? Because you know me. Uh, I would love for us to be preaching and teaching and all running the aisles about heaven. And we will go there. I cannot wait to teach and to preach about your resurrected body and about that way that that resurrected body is going to be worth it all. But that's not even the most important part of even going to heaven is for a resurrected body. And it's not even about the gates of pearl and it's not about all the other things in heaven. It's about us being able to see Jesus face to face. I can't wait to preach and teach about heaven. See what I mean? Way easier to preach about heaven. Case dismissed. Now, now should a physician, now you have a doctor, everybody who has a doctor, raise your hand. Should that doctor be more afraid of losing her license or losing her clients? Should the pastor be more afraid of losing saints or losing his soul over a lack of truth preaching? I wouldn't want to have a doctor who is unloving enough to say, oh, that lump in your, in your neck that's growing so rapidly, don't worry about it. I don't want to lose your clienthood. I don't want to lose you as a patient. So please, just it's okay. Take an aspirin and go to bed. Now, I'm going to ask that question again. You think a physician should be more afraid of losing their license or losing their patients? Losing their license. More important than anything. It would be upsetting, but we would never think it's unloving if a doctor told us, you have a potentially fatal cancer. We wouldn't think it was unloving. Well, that mean doctor. What in the world he th who's he think he is? I'm a person, I'm a great person. Well, doctor don't need to talk to me like that. But I want to tell you, a loving doctor would tell you that cancer can be eradicated. And, and, and then why would we, thinking about that, not tell unsaved people? Or tell the church in general and remind all people everywhere about the cancer of sin and evil. And how the inevitable penalty of eternal destruction can be avoided by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. It can be avoided. Come on somebody, it can be avoided. There is an answer. I just have to tell you, brothers and sisters, if we understood hell even the slightest bit, none of us would ever say, go to hell. It's far too easy to go to hell. It requires no change of us, no navigational adjustments. We were born with autopilot set toward hell. It's nothing to take lightly. Hell is the single greatest tragedy in the universe, and I'm preaching about it to you today. You happen to be in a church or listening to a service today that is exceptional because so few are willing to broach the subject. 
But if you want to call me a doctor for your soul, a pastor and a shepherd for your eternity, I love you too much not to tell you there is a hell. And hell, as the greatest tragedy of the universe, has a God who created that hell, who loves you enough to tell you the truth. There are two eternal destinations, not one. And we must choose the right path if we're going to go to heaven in Jesus' name. All roads do not lead to heaven. If only. (laughs) But there's only one. That is Jesus Christ. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here's the truth. All other roads lead to hell. The high stakes involved in the choice between heaven and hell will cause us to appreciate heaven in deeper ways. So when we start mentioning heaven from this pulpit, we preach heaven, teach heaven. It ought to bring us to our feet thinking, I got a heaven to gain and a hell to shine. Can I just make something really clear here that a lot of people think God and Satan are equal opposites. So untrue. There is such a pitiful contrast between heaven and hell. Hell is not heaven's equal opposite. I wish so goodness, so the goodness this could sink in for a minute. Because it seems like a great big hell and a great big heaven and I got to choose. No, no, no. They're not equal opposites. Because this is the reason Jesus has no equal And because God has no equal, heaven has no equal. Okay, hell, I believe, will be agonizingly dull, small, and insignificant without company, purpose, or accomplishment for anybody who is there. It will not make its own stories. It will not merely be a footnote on history, a crack in the pavement. No, 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 no. As the new universe moves gloriously onward, hell and its occupants will exist in utter inactivity and an eternal life non-life that's a better way to put it non-life of regret I need to say that one more time as the new universe moves gloriously onward conquering and to conquer and things accomplished and creations maybe God will give each one of us a new cosmos of our own who knows what God has in store for those who love him and those who are obeying his beautiful commands that are not grievous but those who are in hell will exist in utter inactivity and insignificance an eternal non-life of regret so because God is the source of all good hell is the absence of God Hell must also be the absence of all good. So, I can draw this conclusion. Community, fellowship, friendship, those things are good, right? They're rooted in the Godhead of Christ Jesus himself. Community, fellowship, friendship. Look around, look around. Do you see anybody that's community, fellowship, and friendship? This is not the way hell's going to look. I really believe it in my spirit. I do not believe that hell is a place where demons take delight in punishing people and where people commiserate over fate. No, I believe more likely each person is going to be in solitary confinement just like the rich man was portrayed all alone in hell. Misery loves company, but there will be nothing to love in hell. No company, 
solitary confinement for eternity, insignificant, left behind, never to get, a, get in on what God has in place and in store for those who are really getting in step in this short little access to one or two, one of the two. I say here today, God, please help us to remember that earth we're sitting in right now, where you are in the sanctuary, you're in an in-between world. And you can all take a deep breath and say, Phew. Pastor, you about made me feel like I was uh, about to get a little scorched there for a second. But you know what? Right now, you're in an in-between world that is touched by both heaven and hell. And earth leads directly to heaven or directly to hell. And on the way, it gives you the choice between the two. The best of life on earth is a glimpse of heaven. The worst of life is a glimpse of hell. Now, for Christians... This present life is the closest they will come to hell. And for unbelievers, this is the closest they will come to heaven. So the reality of the choice lies before us. It's this simple question. Life is both wonderful and awful. Given the reality of our two possible destinations, shouldn't we be willing to pay any price to avoid hell? And go to heaven. Lord, let us begin to weep over those who are headed to hell. And do what we can to depopulate hell every day. And populate heaven with our testimony, with our lives that are lived. Gloriously painting the pictures of the goodness of Jesus on this planet. There's a cemetery in Indiana I've heard about. It has a tombstone over 100 years old. And this tombstone in Indiana has these words. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. But this didn't satisfy some unknown passerby after that was first etched and placed. Some unknown passerby scratched these additional words onto the tombstone. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <sighs> Folks, how beautiful heaven must be. God Almighty. I'm so excited about heaven and spending it there with God and the angels and you. And it makes me just so fearful to think there are people in this house that would rather sit there and think, you know what? I got life figured out. I don't really need to worry about that. But there's a solitary confinement for eternity waiting for you with insignificance, a non-life of regret that'll just diminish and shrink and shrink in importance because it's really nothing. It's not even a thought of God any longer because you had your chance. You had your chance on a Sunday morning to step forward and say, God, I am making my decision and I'm making my declaration. I would love for us today to remember that, that, that there was a day when no one had really been to China from Italy and Marco Polo went to visit and he was so blown away with the things he saw, he saw in China that he came back home to Italy and he tried so hard to explain China to all of those who were in Italy. He managed somehow in a feeble way to explain it and to compare it and to contrast it with the audience and with what the audience knew what he, his, his job was to unwrap the mysteries 
of China, a place they had never seen. And today, that's the job the Lord has given me and the Holy Ghost is to unwrap the mysteries of heaven and unwrap the, the, the tortures of hell. Today, can I just say I'm ready to unwrap heaven with a fresh appreciation and with a fresh desperation. Can I just switch gears here and say Jesus called it my father's house. Before leaving his disciples, Jesus said, you won't see me for a while, but I go to prepare a place for you. Can I tell you, heaven is a place prepared with you and me in mind, and I'm so glad I have this news for you right now. Heaven is ready. Are you ready? Folks, it's ready. I don't believe there's any lines in heaven. Have you ever heard jokes about people standing in line at Peter's desk or whatever? No, there's no lines like that. There's no lines at heaven's gates. Heaven is a place prepared. It'll be ready upon your arrival, my arrival. When God calls one of his children home, rest assured, there's no under construction sign on heaven's gates for that person. No under construction. No, no, no. Heaven stands at attention to usher him or her into the place prepared. Folks, heaven is resplendent and unspeakable in its glories. A little girl was taking an evening walk with her daddy. Wanderingly, she looked up at the stars that had been scattered across the sky like diamonds against a black velvet blanket. And she said, oh, daddy, if the wrong side of heaven is so beautiful, what must the right side be? Woohoo! That was for Brother Al Hammond right there. Woohoo! <laughs> That's a little inside joke between me and the family, right? I have a feeling Brother Aunt, Brother Al Hammond, Brother Jack Robertson, they're like, woohoo, yes. The right side of heaven. When the New Jerusalem comes down out of heaven, friends, mm, mm, mm. the New Jerusalem, its beauty is compared to a bride. I want to I take a series and talk about that in, in weeks to come. The beauty of heaven compared to a bride adorned for her husband. Oh my, streets of transparent gold, 12 gates of pearl, 12 foundations of precious stones. I just got to say it again, how beautiful heaven must be. Sweet home of the happy and free. Fair heaven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. I made a little list of the things that are in heaven. Mansions, trees, rivers, fountains of water, food, animals, altars, fire and coals, tongs, censers, incense crowns, rainbows, thundering, lightning, clouds, lamps, a sea of glass, singing, worship, mountains, doors and posts, Precious stones, diamonds, pearls, walls, gates, fruits, trumpets, temple, palm leaves, palm trees. So many other things I can't number. But most important is that Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, will be there waiting for you and waiting for me. Heaven is rapture. Heaven is rapture. Now, I'm not talking about the rapture of the church that's Christ's appearing. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that, that not talking about that necessary event that, that outside, of, outside of death that will take us to heaven. No, I want us to think about the joy, the unending joy that awaits us in heaven. You may not be able to put much of a smile on your face right now, 
But can I just tell you, if you will allow Paul's words to enter into your spirit right now, he said, if we had hope in this life only, we would be of all men most miserable. To confine our existence to the here and the now is to deny our true existence in heaven. And here's why, Brother Roy, our citizenship is in heaven. Woo! Our conversation is in heaven. Our minds need to be on heaven. We need to set our affection on things above. Folks, let's let our hearts be set on that place which we will. In Jesus' name, we will go and we will see him face to face. I want to tell you there are two things that can be found in heaven. Two things that can be found in heaven which are going to bring you great joy. Number one, the absence of all evil. Number two, the presence of all good. Somebody hear that, what I just said. The absence of all evil, the presence of all good, the absence of evil prevents sorrow, and the presence of good brings fullness of joy. Folks, it will be rapture to hear the angels sing. It'll be rapture to meet the saints of old. <laughs> It'll be rapture to worship and praise our Creator. It'll be rapture to have joy unending and to walk streets of gold, to recline on the golden sands of a celestial shore. Folks, when you see the beauty of a forest in the fall, you sigh. You sigh when you see the turquoise waters of a beautiful shore. You sigh when you watch a cloud drift across a tall mountain peak. It's your soul saying, I long for heaven. And I love what one author said, the day I die will be the best day I ever lived. Because of heaven being my home. Outside of heaven, salvation is the greatest gift known to man. And today I want to make sure that greatest gift known to man of salvation is available. And outside of salvation, no one will ever find heaven. So here's the amazing truth. Before we find heaven, heaven must find us.